Good morning. Uh, as some of you are fully aware, uh, this is the third of five messages on the theme of two words that change everything. And as I've already said on numerous occasions, uh, there are times in the Bible where that phrase, or that the phrase, but God, alerts us to the fact that he is about to move and everything is going to change. We've looked at when the going gets tough, but God can be just what we need to hear or experience. We looked at when life seems unfair, but God can help us bring our hurt and hardship into perspective. Today I'm going to briefly highlight three separate stories. In the last couple of messages I kind of focused on one. We're going to look at three separate stories today very briefly, each of which speaks to a different manifestation or expression of how but God makes a difference when the path is unclear. Hopefully, by me reminding you of these stories, it will help you to see how a but God moment may help you find clarity at times. And as I've tried to emphasize repeatedly, um, I cannot in any way, shape, or form guarantee that you will have a but God moment when you desperately need one. But I can guarantee you, if you do have a but God moment, things will change. I'm not going here in the series of messages, but if you take time to do your own but God study, uh, you will see there are times when there's a but God moment in Scripture, things don't change for the better. They change for the worse because something needs to change and there are consequences sometimes for choices. I chose to emphasize times when it does take us hopefully in a positive direction, but today we'll see one glimpse of what that may look like. So and we're going to look at three stories, uh, two words that change everything when the path is unclear. Now, depending upon your personality and your temperament and your life experience, some of us deal with uncertainty or a lack of clarity better than others. As one who does not particularly relish being in that situation, this kind of uh, drives home to me. So today we're going to look at but God first when you're not even sure there is a path. Or as I would like to say, when you just don't have a clue. All right? Uh, personally, a but God intervention at a moment like that would be incredibly mean, meaningful. But God, when you're not sure there even is a path or you don't have a clue. We're going to look at a story in the scripture. It covers, and those of you who have heard me preach before, I think, oh my goodness, he's covering 10 chapters. We will be here till Christmas. Um, we're going to give you the abbreviated version. But it's a story about a man named Abram. Partway through the story, his name is changed to Abraham. And his wife, Sarai, uh, also known later in the story as Sarah. And so I will inadvertently bounce between calling them both of those names. And so please understand what I'm talking about when I cover that. In this story, it starts in Genesis chapter 12. And this is kind of the beginning of God creating a unique relationship with a specific group of people. And he comes to Abram one day, and he says, Abram, I've got a plan for you. And Abram says, woohoo, I mean, who doesn't want to hear from God and say, I've got a special plan for you. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to go where I tell you and do what I tell you. And, well, I would say, where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. Well, how am I going to know where I... uh, uh, And he says, you just go, and I'll tell you. 
So Abraham amaz excuse me, Abram, I told you I would do it. Abram amazingly says, all right, God, you said go, I'll go. God says, if you will go, I will create from you a great nation. Sounds like a pretty good deal. He leaves everything behind and he just goes. I wish I could explain some of this stuff to you in terms of how, how did he know with his first step? Do I go this way? Do I go that? I wish I could tell you, but I, but I can't. But so anyway, he goes and God gives him some direction and, and he goes where God tells him. In Genesis chapter 15, he's been gone for a while and God comes and makes a covenant or an agreement with him. And that, that agreement is, Abram, you're going to have so many descendants, it would be like trying to count the stars in the sky. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. I, I think I must be important. The problem was, is he's getting older. And he doesn't even have descendant one yet. And it's like, he feels some sense of urgency. Sarai, his wife, feels some sense of urgency that she hasn't delivered this promise heir to get the whole ball rolling. And I, I, I suspect as each day passes and they get a little older and a little older and a little older and a little older, older they begin to get concerned. So he has this promise, you go, I'll show you, I'll make you a great nation. He has this covenant or another promise that says, you're going to have a whole bunch of descendants, and they don't have any descendants. Finally, in Genesis chapter 16, Sarai, his wife, gets concerned. And as many of us, I'm not picking on women here, all right, because I've been around the block. I don't pick on women, all right? But Sarai decides she'll help God out. All right. I know you got a plan, God, but your plan doesn't seem to be happening fast enough. Let me help. And so she says to Abram, you know, I, I feel terrible. I haven't been able to give you this promised heir. So how about this? How about you sleep with my maidservant, and then she can give you the child that I can't? Abram agrees to that plan. And sure enough, Hagar, the maidservant, has a child. And they named this child Ishmael. And things seem to be moving forward. The only problem is that wasn't God's plan. That wasn't his promise. God never promised you'll have many descendants and you will do so through your wife's servant. That wasn't his plan. So he he moves forward with this and... Then in Genesis chapter 17, God makes another covenant with Abram. And basically he's saying, Abram, I know you thought you were helping, but you're not. I said I was going to give you a son from Sarai. I will give you a son from Sarai. I don't care how old you are. If I choose to make it happen, it's going to happen. As God said this, Sarai thought that was so funny that she laughed out loud. Not a good thing sometimes when God's got a plan. But anyway, um, so God changed. He says, I'm going to give you a son. It's going to happen. He changes their names at this point to Mark. Things are different now. You will be Abraham and you will be Sarah from henceforth. Things progress. In Genesis chapter 1, we read that they have this promised son. His name is Isaac. Everything's going according to plan. 
The only problem is, as we read in Genesis chapter 1, we'll read it in just a moment, there's trouble in paradise. There's conflict between Sarah and the wife and Hagar, servant, and Ishmael, Hagar's son, and Isaac, God's planned son. There's tension. Hagar initially flaunts it to Sarah. <laughs> I gave your husband something you couldn't. Yeah, that's going to fly really well with any woman I know. All right? And then once Isaac's born, Ishmael's the older brother, and he's not the nicest of older brothers. And, and so it just adds all this tension. And what happens is Abraham is now caught hopelessly in the middle. Ah, Ishmael, the first son, is his blood. He cares deeply for the boy. Isaac is the promised son that God has said he would work through. And Sarah says, I'm not having that boy Ishmael live in my house making trouble for my precious Isaac. You've got to kick him to the curb. Abraham's caught. I care for him. He's my flesh and blood. That's where we get in the story. Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. So Isaac's a precious little baby. Oh, isn't he cute? He's so special. And, and they have a party to celebrate. <clears throat> but Sarah saw the son whom Agar, Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham, was mocking and she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman. Can you just picture her saying this? I can't even do enough attitude. All right. Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. Ain't happening, Abraham. Fix this. <clears throat> the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. Where's the path here? I don't have a clue. But God <clears throat> said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah says, <clears throat> whatever Sarah tells you, excuse me, <clears throat> because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Now, there, there's just so much to unpack there. Just imagine, guys, you're caught. You're stuck in the middle. You don't know whether to turn to the left or to the right. Either way, you lose. And God steps in and says, hey, dude, listen to your wife. Okay. God says, I I've got a plan. But God said to him, don't be so distressed. Listen to what Sarah tells you, because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. God continues, I will make the son of the slave woman into a nation also, because he's your offspring. I, I, I'm going to take care of the boy. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and watered in the desert of Beersheba. So here it is. God says, I got this. Listen to Sarah. He packs up for Hagar a, you know, a go bag and sends her off into the desert. All right, God's got a plan, I'll kick you out. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. All right, so they're out in the wilderness. 
They've used up their supplies. What's she going to do? Puts the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And she sat there and began to sob. Just, just wrap your heads around this. Talk about when the path is unclear. Not even sure there is a path here, God. I'm in the desert. My boy's dying of thirst. I'm going to put him down and walk away so I can't hear his death cries. And she sits down and she begins to sob. But God, some translations don't have the but there, but uh, New Living Translation, fortunately for me, does. But God heard the boy crying. But God heard the boy crying. And the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do you ever get one of those, duh? What do you mean, what's the matter? I've been kicked out of my home with nothing but the food on my back, and that's gone. And my boy's over there under a bush, dying of thirst. And you're asking me, what's the matter? What's the matter, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God, I'm just wondering if we're going to make it to tomorrow. And you're talking about a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Oh, I wish I knew the story. I I find myself always... Some of you have heard me say this before. God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. When I think about but God moments when the path is unclear... Was the well there and she just didn't see it? Or did God put it there and open her eyes to see it? I don't know. It really doesn't matter, but it's just one of those things I wonder about. Because God provided. God was with the boy as he grew up, and he lived in the desert and became an archer, and he did become the father of a great nation. But God moment, to me, this was the statement to Abraham in verse 12. God said, God stepped in, but God said, I know you don't see it yet, but I've got this. I know you don't see a way out of this, but I've got this. Then later in the story in verse 17, but God moment, I know it's hard. But let me open your eyes. Friends, if you're in a time where the path is unclear, I mean, it's so unclear you're not even sure there is a path, perhaps you'll have, and maybe you should pray for, a but God moment where he says, I know you don't see it, but I've got this. Or perhaps it's time to pray for a but God moment where he steps in and he says, I know it's hard. Let me open your eyes. Let me open your eyes. I said a couple different stories. But God, when you're on the wrong path and don't even know it, I would like to think that I would be willing to have God intervene if I'm on the right path and don't even know it. Uh, There's a great story in Luke (coughs) chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So Jesus is teaching. Somebody steps up and said, Hey, my brother's a jerk. Tell him to split the money with me. 
Um, that's my paraphrase, in case you wondered. Uh, verse 14, uh, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? In other words, that's not really what matters here. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. So the dude's got resources and he has a great year. So he's got more resources. Then he thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got no place to store my crops. How cool is that? I have such an abundance that I don't even have room to store it all. Then he said, ah, this is what I'll do. I've got a plan. There's a path here. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And he said to himself, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Can you see this dude looking in the mirror? And he's just had this amazingly bountiful harvest And he has a plan to store it all up. And he looks at himself kind of smugly and says, Dude, you got it made. Just chill. Eat, drink, be merry. Enjoy your abundance. But God. But God said to him, You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now, friends, there are messages to be taught there with regard to greed, with regard to generosity, with regard to a plethora of potential topics. Today, I just want to use it specifically with regard to a but-God moment when the path is unclear. This man was on a path that he thought was the fast track to success, but he was actually on a path that was dangerously headed in the wrong direction. Friends, when you think about but God moments, when you pray for but God moments, I would encourage us to factor this in. God, please help me to recognize it when you're sending a but God moment to help me make a crucial mid-course adjustment in my path. I would hope we were all humble enough and wise enough to ask for a but God moment whenever we're on the wrong path and we don't even know it. The final story speaks to a time or a but God moment when you're on a good path, but God has a better plan. Some of you who are doing the reading that we've been doing in in Luke and Acts, this was yesterday's reading in uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, starting with verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of the province of Asia. So again, just a quick recap. Uh, Paul has been called by God to take the gospel to as many possible people as he can. And he's just out traveling everywhere he can, preaching that Jesus is the Messiah to Jews and Gentiles and Greeks. Anybody that he can get to listen, he's preaching the word about who Jesus is. In the first part, the first five verses of, of, uh, 
Acts chapter 16 is where he picked up this, this young apprentice, Timothy, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago in, in the idea of who's got next. So that's kind of the setting. He's traveling around, and we're told that having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. And, and for me, that's just, I'll just give you a heads up where I'm headed. That's kind of a head-scratching moment. Uh, the story continues. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus, a.k.a. God, would not allow them to. Please grant me a little creative liberty and understand that I'm taking but the Spirit of Jesus as the same as a but God moment, because they are the same. All right? So, when the Spirit... Excuse me. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but God would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas... <clears throat> During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, "Come over to Macedonia and help us." So, so get the setting. Twice in the moments leading up to this, or the days leading up to this, the Spirit of God has said, "Don't go here. Don't go here." Then Paul has a vision of somebody saying, "Come here. Come here." After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once and left for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and leading city of that district, that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Friends, when I look at verses 6 and 7, I have so many questions. And I don't have any answers. We're told in verse 6 that they wanted to go somewhere and the Spirit said, no, you can't. Friends, they were going there to preach the Word. Why would God say no? They had a plan. But God said no. Verse 7, again, They want to go here and the spirit of Jesus or but God says, no, you can't. And then God sends a vision. I mean, he may have just had too much pepperoni on his pizza that night and had a vision. So, friends, I I wish I could say, here's why they were stopped. I don't have a clue. I wonder, and this is just me, I'm sorry to inflict my my wackiness on you, but when it says the Spirit stopped them, how does that work? Was the door stuck? Did their car not start? I, I wish I knew how the Spirit just said, you're not going there. I made a wisecrack, but friends, how did they know it was God who was stopping them and not the adversary? If I've got a plan, I mean, if I've got a plan and I face opposition, my first response is, oh, devil, you're not having this one, instead of saying, well, is my plan the same as God's plan? Because maybe God's got a different plan. You see where I'm going? How did they know 
it was God who was stopping them and not the adversary. All I can offer you is speculation. Somehow, some way, some shape, some form, they were so in sync with God that they got it. And that convicts me to my core. Because I have to say, am I that in tune? You know, we, we love, we love, we love, we love catchy saying, Oh, when God closes the door, he opens a window. How do I know he closed the door? How do I know he opened the window? There's got to be some sense of connectivity. A depth that they had that maybe I miss. And I'm not saying that for you. In my observation, even the most dedicated Christ followers among us must be continuously intentional about resisting the temptation to simply ask God to bless our good plans rather than adapting our lives and our actions to comply with his better plan. You feel me here? I spent a lot of years in ministry, and I spent a lot of years making plans, and I spent a lot of time praying, God bless our plans. Some of you are here years back when we did a study called Experiencing God, and it it talked about the challenge we face of not having our plans and seeing where we want God to move, but trying to figure out where God's moving and join him in it. I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here, friends. I do not doubt in the slightest that many of us, perhaps all of us, spend a fair amount of time planning in the most important areas of our lives. And I know you. And I think we come up with some really, really good plans. And that's not a bad thing. I suspect many of us invest a lot of spiritual energy and attention praying about these good plans we've developed. I'm not bashing planning. It's not a bad thing to pray over the plans we have. But if we never attempt to confirm that our plan is merging with God's plan, we can end up frustrated and off course. As I said earlier, when I, when I read the, that little bit from Acts and Acts 6 and 7, and I, I just come away just scratching my head to know how did they understand? How did they know? I realize that's what I need to seek. I wish I could give you three points in a poem explaining how to do that. But I can't. I think it just requires digging down deep and seeking to draw closer and closer and closer and closer in your personal relationship with God to whereby you begin to get in sync. Some of us are veterans of a lengthy marriage. And some of us have had the wonderful experience where you kind of know what the other one's thinking. 
just by the look on their face, by their body language, all those things. Imagine if we had that relationship with God whereby we just get a sense as our, ah, that's what you're up to. Don't understand it yet, but I trust you. God, please help me to always be willing to look for and embrace your better plan, even when I've already developed my own good plan. I'm not going to elevate myself, but I come up with some great plans. You come up with some great plans. Just doesn't mean a whole lot if it's not his plan. To me, those three stories that we've looked at combine to remind us that a but God moment can change everything when the path is unclear, regardless of the cause for the lack of clarity. I wish I could tell you it's always going to happen. I wish I could tell you every time things get a little fuzzy, you'll have a but God moment and it's crystal clear. I wish I could tell you what to look for so you know when he's the one closing the door, when he's the one redirecting your path. I wish I could tell you, but I can't. But I can tell you he wants to, and he wants you to want him to. Pray with me, please. Father, you know I feel much better about a message when I give answers rather than just ask questions and leave them hanging. But the one answer that, that I come back to is that even when the path is unclear, even when we're not even sure there is a path, even when the path we're on is the wrong one, even when the path is on a good one, and we're on is a good one, you want to be a part of it. And so, Father, I pray that rather than looking to apply this teaching to specific issues and challenges in our life. I pray instead that you might help us to apply it to the totality of our life, whereby we become increasingly motivated (coughs) to do what it takes to draw closer and closer and closer and closer to you so that we get to the point where we can just sense where you're headed and that we can be quick to follow you there. Thank you, Father. Amen. Worship team.